Let's get back to Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Next up, Dave Wilcox, Pro Football Hall of Famer, linebacker, played his entire career with the San Francisco 49ers, Dave Wilcox. As an Oregon native, was it an easy decision ending up at the university as opposed to Oregon State or someplace else? What uh, what I did, I went to Boise Junior College, which is now Boise State. Uh, Boise is about 75 miles from my hometown in eastern Oregon. And uh, anyhow, I went to Boise Junior College first and then uh, went to the University of Oregon after that. I had an older brother who did exactly the same thing. So growing up in a small community, it was probably six uh, gradual steps instead of leaping into the big city. Your coach at Oregon was Len Casanova. Did, did he, uh, is he the one who recruited you? Yes, Lynn was a wonderful man. Um, he actually, there was a connection between him and my uh, old coach at uh, Boise Junior College, Lyle Smith. They served in the Navy together during World War II, and they had a connection. So I think uh, my uh, 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 Recruitment, uh, part of whatever that was, uh, included both Lyle and, uh, and Lynn Casanova. Lynn was one of, one of the most honorable, wonderful people. And it, and it probably helped that your brother went there also. Oh, yes. Uh huh. And then, uh, there was a guy named Mel Winfrell who, uh, played at Jefferson High in Portland. He's the same age as I am, or I'm the same age he is. And he went to Oregon, and Mel and I, we, even though we never played against each other in high school, I knew about him because he was kind of the uh, the player of the, of the state. And uh, it, was, it was sure uh, wonderful to go, be able to go and play on the same team with Mel at the University of Oregon. There was some kind of uh, defense there with two future pro football Hall of Famers on it. Well, actually, I don't know how old you guys are. <laughs> when we played, you played everything. Uh, you ran that on kickoffs. You did punt, punt return, played defense, played offense. Because we didn't have, uh, you, you weren't just a defensive guy or an offensive guy. The only guy that didn't play defense was the quarterback. And that's probably good. And that, that would have been Bob Berry, correct? Bob Berry, yeah. And actually, he was... He could have probably played defense. He had the mentality of a defensive guy, but he uh, yeah, need to keep him healthy so he can get the ball to Mel Winfro, and then we just get out of Mel's way and hopefully didn't trip him up in some way. So were you a, a pulling guard on the offensive line also? Actually, I was a great tight end. Uh, I was a tight end in high school at a junior college in my first year at Oregon, and Right before spring practice in my junior year, um, going into my senior year, the uh, coaches, we had a whole bunch of tight ends, but we had no guards. So they asked me if I would uh, move to, to play guard. I said, I'd do that on offense so long as I didn't have to do that on defense. So I was like a defensive end. So, yeah, I, I uh, was a multi-talented position guy, I guess. Because back then the tight ends weren't pass catchers. They were basically more of a blocker. Were you a pass catching tight end? Oh, well, uh, in junior co- I think in high school, we were just talking about this the other day. In high school, uh, we probably threw the ball three or four times a game. And then junior college, because we played single wing. In junior college, 
I think we threw the ball maybe eight or nine times a game, and then when I got to Oregon, they threw it probably 10, 15 times a game. And about 14 of those throws were try to get the ball to Mel Renfro, and the rest of us would get out of his way and leave him alone. Now, the 63 Oregon team, if, if I remember correctly, went to the Sun Bowl against Navy. Does that sound right? No, we played SMU in the uh, Sun Bowl. And, and at the time, and I, it'll be 50 years this coming fall. We were just talking to some of my old buddies. This seemed like it was yesterday. But uh, we were, I think, two of the two major colleges were the first, SMU and ourselves was the first one to play in the Sun Bowl. Other, I, before that, I thought teams like West Texas State and Texas Western and, you know, New Mexico State, those were the schools that used to play in that. So we did that, and, uh, yeah, it was a, a wonderful experience. What was your favorite moment in college? Was it playing in the Sun Bowl or...? Oh, you know what? I, I I never had a one favorite moment. They were all favorite moments, I guess. Uh, just going to the University of Oregon, and <clears throat> at that when when I, I was here, and Oregon was not in a there was no Pac-10 or Pac-8 or Pac anything. It was independent, and we played my, my junior year. We opened with Texas in in uh, Austin. Uh, I don't know if it was the same year. We played Indiana. We played Ohio State. We played West Virginia. Played Rice. We played all over the place. Uh, so just playing against all those teams. I remember going back to Ohio State and uh, going out to warm up on the field. And we had to go down the corner of the end zone because Ohio State had so damn many players that took up the whole field. And I think we got beat like 17 or 14 or something. And they had a guy on their team named Paul Warfield. So just, you know, things like that. I, I remember going back to West Virginia. And we were going to uh, check in. We took us like two days to get there or something. I don't remember the flight, but it wasn't a direct flight. We were prop plane. I think we stopped a couple times to get gas. Uh, and that was good. But we, uh, I remember going to, uh, I believe it was Morgantown. We'll get ready to go check in the hotel, and we had a bunch of Hawaiian and a few black guys on our team, and the hotel said that uh, they had to come in through the kitchen. And uh, Lynn Casanova said, no, well, they won't. They'll come in the front door, and I guess, no, they can't. So we moved back to, I forget what town it was, stayed somewhere else, come in the next day and beat West Virginia in like 46 to 2 or something like that. With some of our players, they wouldn't let them walk in the kitchen. So, you know, we we were in the middle of all that back in the 60s. And then in state, you had Oregon State with uh, Terry Baker, who would win, win the Heisman Trophy. Right. He, yeah, he won. He when my junior year, he actually went to school, high school with Mel Renfro, and he's just a year older than Mel and I. Great athlete. <clears throat> Played against him our junior year, and uh, you know he was a heck of a, a basketball player at Oregon State. Uh, I think they went into what is similar to what the Final Four is now. Uh, he was a, a pitcher on the baseball team. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, we've been state guys, we kind of followed them. And then he was the first Heisman Trophy winner uh, out west, I, I think is the thing. He didn't have success at the NFL level because the assumption was if you're good enough to win the Heisman, you should be able to go 
and have a decent career in the probate. Yeah, you know, I don't know about that. I do know that, you know, he was such a great athlete and, and maybe, you know, and when you go play in the pro football or basketball or baseball or something, you've got to have one skill that's pretty darn good. He was such a great athlete. I mean, he covered everything. And, uh, you know, just because you're a Heisman Trophy winner or something else in college doesn't mean you're going to be a success in the pros or stuff. Do you have any idea the 49ers are going to track you? Well, actually, a little bit. <clears throat> going back to Lynn Casanova, he knew the owners of the 49ers. And there was a guy named Franklin Muley who owned part of the 49ers who had graduated from University of Oregon uh, in the late 40s, early 50s. <clears throat> and uh, he had uh, talked to Lynn Casanova, and I, I'm not sure all the details, but Lynn Casanova taught high school in uh, Redwood City at Sequoia High School. And actually, that's what the 49ers are workouts place was not in San Francisco. It was in Redwood City when I was there. So anyhow, that was a connection, and, and at that time, they Houston drafted me in the American League and then San Francisco, and Lynn Casanova told me and Mel Renfro both that, uh, you know, we didn't have agents at that time, but the, whenever the draft was over, come and see him. So I went in the next day to see Lynn, and he, he says, well, you probably need to sign with San Francisco and I said well I, you know you're you're my agent so thank you and so that's what I did now the 49ers picked you in the third round with the 29th pick which today would mean you would have been a first round pick and the 49ers in the second round picked George Myra the Miami quarterback out of Florida later in that round Renfro goes to the Cowboys somebody should have told the 49ers to pick Renfro and you guys could have remained teammates <laughs> Well, Ian, uh, our last game that year, the draft was held in 1963 in December. That was the year we were getting ready to play Oregon State in, uh, in our uh, last game of the regular season, and that's when uh, John Kennedy was shot. And uh, there was a, they delayed all the games and stuff for a week. And Mel had cut his wrist. Uh, I don't know, he stuck his arm through a window somehow. Something happened. I don't remember the details. But there was some question about, you know, would his arm be okay? So that's the reason he was taken in the second round. Uh, I, I know because Red Hickey and, and uh, Franklin Muley had Mel and I at the Eugene Hotel for a while during that draft. And a guy named Gil Brandt, who's still, I think he's still scouting and stuff, yeah, he was he was kind of the main uh, connection to this area for the Cowboys, and uh, so I think they really wanted Mel. I mean, I, I sure wish he came with us to San Francisco, but he was a heck of a player. And you had some great players on those San Francisco teams. I mean, the million dollar backfield was pretty much gone. Ditto was gone, uh, but I mean, you still had Sinclair and those guys there. Well, actually, Bob St. Clair tore his Achilles in my, uh, an exhibition season my rookie year, and that was his last year. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, Hugh McElhaney and YA and R.C. Owens and all those guys had, had been kind of retired and moved on, and so it was kind of a change there that, you know, Red Hickey had been fired the year before I got there, and 
and Jack Christensen came in, and so it took two or three years. John Brody was there, who did a great job, of really, for what we did. Uh, John Brody was a very special quarterback. And some of the things, and then Dick Nolan finally, um, he came in 1968, changed the, the defensive part of this and drafted some defensive guys, and we were lucky enough to play in some championship games. Didn't quite get to the Super Bowl, but there was a lot of other teams who wish they could have been playing the games we played in. Was the transition from college to the 49ers uh, a simple one? Well, uh, there again, in, in college we did everything. Um, you know, you ran down on kickoffs, did all the stuff. And now I got to San Francisco. They wanted me to maybe be a defensive end, which would be a down lineman. And, you know, we did that for about two days. And then uh, uh, they needed a linebacker and um, I kind of did a little bit of that in training camp. And when I played in a college all-star game in Chicago, I played as a linebacker. I'm not sure I knew what I was doing. Then I just kind of went from there. There was a, an Ed Pine, who was the linebacker, uh, ahead of me got uh, a bad um, bur- line burn from a, they put the wrong chalk on the field at Kizar and he got the burn and was in uh, pretty tough shape there for a while and, and his replacement, a guy named Bill Cooper, I think the first game he played in he got his knee hurt so now I'm all of a sudden about the second or third game of their season, I, I got to start and uh, kind of went from there how did you get your nickname, The Intimidator? That is a good question. And when you find out, would you let me know? <laughs> did you like that nickname? or? No, I don't know where that came from. Somebody put that on there. I don't even know how to spell it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was a nice guy. Butkus and Mitski were, they were intimidating guys. I was a nice guy. <laughs> What was Christensen like as a coach? Jack was, well, you know, there there again, thinking back way back when, uh, I wasn't quite sure. It, I mean, coaching of the pros was sure different in the colleges, I know, I'm sure. There's mainly the personalities and stuff you had to deal with and, and the way you handle things. But I uh, I know I had a lot of respect for, for, uh, for him. Uh, he also, one of his, he played with Detroit Lions and they had won championships. Him and we had a, a defensive back coach named Jimmy David who also played with Detroit with, with Coach Christensen. And they were on a team. There, there again, we were just talking not too long ago, a friend of mine. You know, we don't, there's only about four or five coaches for the whole team. And, uh, I, I don't remember. I think, I don't know if Jack, I, I don't know what he, if he he probably had to coach something too, also being a head coach. You were on the field against the Bears in several of Gale's big games when he had what the six touchdowns and also the game where he blew out his knee. Well, like both those games. Yeah. Well, uh, going back to the six touchdowns, we played in San Francisco, whatever year that was. And uh, he scored four touchdowns in Kizar Stadium. And then we go back to play the Bears uh, later in the year in Wrigley Field in the mud and the rain, and he scored six touchdowns. And I remember somebody here 
three or four years ago was talking about how great this running back was because he scored 20 touchdowns in the season. And I started laughing. I said, you got to be kidding me. Here's a guy, Gale Sayers, in two games against us. Maybe we weren't very good. I don't know, but he was awesome. I mean, I honestly think Gale Sayers was probably the best back that we played against that in the NFL. Uh, and then, uh, what was the other question? Oh, the game where he blew out his knee. Oh, yeah. Which, I don't know if that was the next year or two years later, but, <laughs> yeah, our defensive bat, they ran uh, a sweep. It was in Wrigley Field and ran a sweep. And the guard, I, I believe it was a guard or a tackle, was blocking for him. And our defensive back, uh, went, knocked the guard down, and, uh, Gail was right behind him and hit him, uh, back, hit him on the knee, and I know, uh, the guy that did that, and he felt awful, you know, that's not something you tried to do, was hurt the guy. Now you might hit him and knock him down, but you didn't want to ruin their career. You know, I got, and then Gail, you know, from then on, it was kind of tough for him, but, but up until that time, he was uh, a very special player. Yeah. The Bears also had a tight end, number 89, Mike Ditka. Well, what was he like to go up against? Oh, he was one of the most tenacious guys to play against. I mean, you better be ready to play the whole game. He wasn't going to play a few plays, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, he, he was kind of, I don't know, the mentality of the Bears, I guess, with Mike Ditka, because uh, you better uh, take a lunch with you, because you'd be there all day. It didn't make a difference if you were if they were ahead or behind, and you better be a, better pay attention to what was going on. You better focus on Mike Ditka. Was the Cowboys your biggest rival back then? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> we just happened to play him in the playoffs uh, three times in a row and got beat all three times, but. You know, I, they were in the Eastern Division of the of the NFL at the time. We were in the Western Division. So, no, I, I don't know. We, used, uh, If you're talking about a rival, maybe it had to be the Rams because we used to play them three times a year. We'd always play them the last exhibition uh, game and then play them twice during the season. Uh, I was Tom Mack and I are good friends, and uh, I was – we were talking not too long ago about, I remember uh, we used to stay uh, the night before the game. The exhibition game was always in, at the Coliseum. <clears throat> and uh, whatever year the Watts riots were, we stayed at the Sheridan West Hotel on, I believe it was, uh, I forget the name of the street, but we would go, leave the hotel and go down to Vermont Street, and that would take you to the Coliseum. And so here we are on the bus at four or five o'clock in the evening, whatever, going to the stadium for a seven o'clock game or whatever it was. And we're driving down the middle of Watts with the smoke coming out of the buildings and guys and machine guns on the buildings. And I'm thinking, you know, should we really be down here playing an exhibition game? Uh, I, I don't know about that one. I mean, you had enough to worry about with the fearsome foursome. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I mean, those guys were something else. Uh, yeah. The, the thing that I would have loved to, I, I talked to a, 
Oh, a bunch of guys from the Steelers. Um, but anyhow, the line, uh, you know, Merlin Olson, Lamar Lundy, and Deacon, and Rosie Greer, those guys, they were something else. Uh, the defensive line they had was just unreal. Them and the Steelers and the and Minnesota Vikings, you know, those, at least there's some other ones too, but those three, they had some fantastic athletes. Thanks for Dick Nolan. He, he's reasonably young. He's like 36 years old when he becomes coach for the 49ers. What, what was he like? Dick was, he was a defensive guy. Uh, I know that, and he loved defense, and that's what changed the makeup of the 49ers when, when he became our head coach, was that he would spend uh, time with the defense. Uh, I forget who the offensive coach was, but he kind of let the, the offensive guys go, but defense is where that was his specialty, and he, he is, when he was in Dallas, and him and Landry put together the, uh, the, the Dallas defense, they called it the flex defense, uh, which is a little bit different than anybody else was doing, but uh, he brought that to San Francisco, and Dick was one of the most wonderful people uh, aside from the head coach, uh, and he, he brought a winning attitude to the 49ers. Who was the toughest guy you went up against in the pros? Well, you know, people ask me that, and I said, every one of them. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, the, the guys like you, we talked about Ditka and John Mackey and, you know, uh, Gail Sayers and you know, Jimmy Taylor and the Green Bay Packers and the Minnesota Vikings, and I mean, I just think uh, the guys that got that far, they were all pretty darn good players, and uh, you better be ready to play every week. Was the 1917 the best one that you were on? Well, I don't know. It was the early 70s. There was two or three years that we got beat in the championship game by the Cowboys. Uh, you know, and they deserve to win because they get more points. Uh, I think those were our best teams when I was there. Uh, and John Brody had fantastic years, and and uh, oh, I can't remember. We had the Ted Kowalik was a tight end, and we had Gene Washington and Cedric Hardman and Bruce Taylor on the defense, and my old buddy Jimmy Johnson and. You know, I had both in the early 70s with, I don't know, one year was better than the other, other than the fact that, uh, you know, we we were close, but not quite good enough. How did you know when it was time to retire? Well, I'd heard, I got clipped in an exhibition game in Miami prior to the 1970 season, and I tore a cartling to my knee, and I played the whole year. Oh, golly, that was awful. Uh, I mean, I... I missed that's I missed one game. I just couldn't take it. It had to rest. I mean, my knee hurt. It swell up all the time. And so after the season, I had it operated on here in uh, Oregon by a name, doctor named Slocum, uh, and um, I, I, his assistant was Dr. James. So anyhow, uh, they fixed it up. And that time, you know, it's what they do today. You go in in the morning, you're home in the afternoon, and play in again on Tuesday. But um, uh, anyhow, uh, he fixed it. I was in the hospital like for a week with a, you know, just a cartilage operation, and 
played uh, after that. It was really good for a couple of years. And then it bothered me once, and I had to go out and do again in 19, I guess, I think what year it was. Uh, in May, because there was some stuff that started floating around and got caught again, and I had to operate at it. But anyhow, uh, after that season, you know, I played a little bit better, but it bothered me quite a bit. And so I went in to see the doctor. I was 32, I think, at the time. And after the season was over, and uh, Dr. James, Dr. Slocum, I just talked to him about my knee and stuff. And, you know, our team, uh, the 49ers, was going through some major changes. Brody retired, a bunch of guys. And so I just decided that I probably want to walk around the rest of my life. And the doctors told me, this is what it looks like. This is what it should look like. This is probably what it would look like if you keep playing. So it was a pretty easy choice. So the only thing I missed about... Well, there's maybe a couple things, but what you missed about a uh, team, I've been a member of the team for almost 20 years somewhere, and your buddies and your camaraderie and all that, that's that's what you miss, or that's what I miss. When you were elected to the Hall of Fame in 2000, was that something that you had been anticipating for a few years? It was it something you thought wasn't going to happen? What was your reaction? Well, I don't know, maybe I'm a little different, but uh, I really hadn't thought too much about that until about 1997, 98, somewhere in there. And my old coach, Mike Giddings, called me. And he had been to uh, the Hall of Fame induction. We'd been back a couple times for a couple reasons, but to a game there. But really never thought too much about it. But anyhow... I think maybe it's 97, 98. He says, you know, you should be in the Hall of Fame. I said, well, you know, what? I guess uh, whatever I did, if it was good enough, I think it should be there. If it wasn't, then I shouldn't. So I never stayed up at night or any of that. And then, um, oh, I, he talked to a couple people, and then I got the call there in uh, oh, 19, uh, or excuse me, it was in 2000. In 1999, I think it was in August, when they said, you, my coach called me, he says, you know, you're the nominee from the senior committee, and I wasn't quite sure what that was. So, uh, <laughs> but anyhow, it was, uh, I, I'm very fortunate to be able to be included with this group of people. Uh, uh, we were just uh, talking about it the other day, and, and the amount of people that played and you know, I believe there's 280 in the Hall of Fame right now. So to be one of those... What number are you? Uh, I was 204, I think it is. But uh, we, we live out here in uh, Junction City, Oregon. <clears throat> and uh, it's a small community. I think the town is, you know, a couple thousand people. The school is 500 and the high school. Both of our kids went to school here and stuff. But anyhow, one of my neighbors about three or four miles from here is a guy named Bobby Doerr. Bobby Doerr, Johnny Petsky, Dominic DiMaggio, and Ted Williams are the four teammates statues in front of uh, Fenway Park in Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyhow, Bobby was the second baseman with, uh, on the, those teams. Anyhow, we talked about Bobby is 90, I think he'd be 95 this fall. And we talk about, you know, how the heck we ever end up in the same community. <laughs> so it's a real special. Now, when it came time 
for your uh, induction speech, you selected not a family member, but uh, a former coach to introduce you. My goodness. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I talked to uh, a couple of uh, different people about how you do that. Uh, there, I mean, uh, you know, Mike is the one that did a lot of work on on helping me, I guess, get get to that point. Uh, work as a coach. He was our coach for a few years. Uh, he was really. Uh, instrumental maybe I guess in getting it started so I thought it was appropriate to do that uh, I do know that Dick Nolan uh, was also part of that I thought about him our family member but you know the reason I didn't choose my oldest son or a brother or something is that they weren't quite around when I was playing so I, I, I wanted somebody from that era when I played so you know, I don't know. You probably make a dozen choices, and they'd all be right. So, when you were on the team as a rookie, and uh, Bob Sinclair was on the team, did he make you eat or watch him eat raw liver? <laughs> no, but <it's laughs> we'd all thrown up. Our first meeting when you go to training camp as rookies back then, you you'd have your first uh, meal and then the in the lunchroom and. You would all go sit in a corner somewhere away from the vets because we didn't want to, you know, mess up things or do something. We weren't sure what we were doing, quite frankly. <laughs> and Bob, after my rookie year, you would anticipate this every year. He would get a, a, a piece of raw liver and put it on his plate, come over and sit down right in the middle of the rookies, <clears throat> and... Uh, Started eating it and uh, kind of let blood run down his chin and stuff. And you rookies would kind of throw up and get up and wonder what the hell has gotten into here with this uh, pro football stuff. <laughs> but he, Bob is one of the most wonderful guys, and we have a lot of laughs about that. But he did that for a purpose. I know that. I think he's going to pick the menu for the 50th anniversary of the Hall of Fame this year. <laughs> A couple of years ago, we were sitting back in the Ken, and I'm sitting uh, on one side of Franco Harris and Bob St. Clair's on the other at this table. And uh, Bob, they bring us their meal, and Franco just happened to look over, and Bob had a raw steak. It had, like, ice on top of it. <laughs> and he looks over, and he looks at me, and I said, yeah, he'll eat it. <laughs> and I Thought Franco might be uh, lose his uh, dinner right there. <laughs> He'd never been around anything like that. So, anyhow, I, uh, Bob, I, I, what is he, 82? That's probably the reason he's so healthy now. Well, that does it for another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. I would like to thank our guests, Dave Wilcox and Tom Max, a couple of Hall of Famers, and our Hall of Fame executive producer, Dave Olson. Tune in again next week for Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com.